Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of the Tech Renegades podcast. After a slight hiatus of a few months, we're back. Uh, I'm David Haynes, as usual. I'm joined by my friend, good friend, Oliver Snowden. How are you, Ollie? Hi, guys. Yeah, good to hear you, Dave. It's, uh, about a lot's happened, dare I say, since the last time we spoke. Uh, you've obviously got, got married now, which is uh, awesome. And, have, uh, yes. and certainly on the... Th- tech has changed as it as it always does and uh, and our country has changed it would appear <laughs> so apart from that nothing's happened exactly yes uh, so potentially a lot for us to talk about so sure, what what sure. should we talk about first um well, are we going to talk about the european union uh well <laughs> i could go on couldn't it do you want to you want to have a lighter subject to get us in and we'll see how <laughs> we feel <laughs> okay okay uh, we we don't have any light subjects on our list. Uh, Android apps on Chrome. Amazing. Oh, okay. So talk so yeah. talk about your laptop woes. How about that? So what's happen, what's happened okay. to your MacBook? Well, okay. So so my main gripe with Apple is that I haven't actually had any hardware that hasn't developed a fault within Apple Care yet. <laughs> I'm very glad that I've had Apple Care on every single occasion, but. Um, do you know, I, I, I've read um, instances where people even seem to be able to play certain videos or certainly video games that can just fry the graphics card uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, and, I think um, that, that basically this is the this is a problem with the MacBook the MacBook Pro line, isn't it? Where they've got the discrete GPU, and um, it's essentially rather passively cooled. Uh, there is a fan in there. I don't really know the internal setup too much. Basically, the thing gets far too hot if you run it to its max for any extended period of time. The uh, I'm looking at mine now, and the the heat is vented uh, where the hinge for the screen is. So mm. you can imagine it's partially obscured by the hinge itself. There isn't amazing airflow there by the by the screen anyway. Uh, I've I've got mine in in like a cradle, so the the screen is open far beyond ninety degrees. So that probably helps the longevity of mine. Mine always lasts for it lasts a long time. Um, and also, yeah. I'm not I'm not playing Minecraft twenty four seven on them like you are. <laughs> I can't even remember the last time I played a video game on on that thing. And certainly that <laughs> last one was that was a work machine, and so. Um, Essentially, that was just had the normal coding tools on. Yeah. So I was, uh, I, do you know, when it happened, Dave, um, I was talking to another colleague. Actually, so, so what did happen? What did happen? I've seen a picture on your on, on your Twitter feed. Yeah. Well, you just don't expect these things, do you? So I, I just left my um, laptop at my at my desk, uh, went over to speak to someone, uh, had a chat for five ten minutes and uh, looked over at my screen and I could see that I had just lines on the actual uh, MacBook Pro screen, but this, um, the external monitor um, connected to it looked absolutely fine. Oh, right. And I went to go show this guy what I was doing, some code. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> the window works fine on the left side, but not on my MacBook Pro side on the right. Okay. So I dragged a window across and everything like that. And I'm like, hmm, this is pretty screwed. Let's turn it off, see what happens. <laughs> I turned it off and I couldn't ever get a screen up again on the thing. So, um, oh dear. yeah, went straight into Apple. And the thing is that their customer service is excellent. Um, but at the same time, um, their prices are, are certainly reasonably high. 
Uh, I bought one of those uh, Thunderbolt cables. It was uh, half a meter, um, and that cost me twenty-five pounds, so thirty-five dollars, forty dollars. It hurts, doesn't uh, it? Which... It hurts. It's painful. But the thing is, you um, can you can buy one off Amazon for like four quid. Yeah. But it's an absolute gamble whether it's going to work. Yeah. A complete gamble. Or, or cause some damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or just catch fire. Exactly. Anyway, I was able to. Go on, sorry. No, I was just going to say I was able to boot up the old Mac. Um, the old is actually new, fairly new; it's only a year old, less than a year old. But anyway, um, that I think it's a Command T or something, Control T, um, and it, it, you can go and mount the device then as an external hard disk on another Mac. You done that before? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. It's got it's got a name like Remote Boot or something like that. Yeah, where you're, mm. you're basically just like using it as a, uh, you're, you're booting that machine from this machine or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah it was just it basically mounts the uh, the volume and finder. So okay, this is a okay, so you can just got access to the disk. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. And it was encrypted, and so you just type in the, the password, which I didn't know, but the corporate IT knew. Um, got all that sorted. So uh, okay. So anyway. Um, that was that was all fine, um, but I'm also right right next to me. I uh, I went and bought myself a Chromebook just to see what the competition is like. <laughs> and uh, so for, this, for this is due to frustration, right? So frustration that you and I both have. Um, I, I'm still using a MacBook and probably still will be because that's what I do. I need Apple mm. stuff to build Apple stuff, but um, certainly. Um, I was saying just before the course started that I am absolutely gagging to upgrade this machine. I want a much yeah. faster GPU. I just I want more cores. Uh, 16 gig of RAM seems reasonable these days, so that's fine. Um, I'm nearly out of hard drive space. I've got a terabyte SSD in here and I'm nearly out of space. So it's just absolutely outrageous. Um, mm. what, am I, what am I going to have to do? Am I going to have to get an, an external drive? That's just obnoxious. I've got an external drive, though. I I just can't face it. I can't face it. I want, I want my my uh, appliance to be one solid slab of aluminium and not have to worry about any ancillary peripherals. (laughs) Otherwise, I just, I just get an HP or whatever, or a Novo. Yeah. And bolt everything I can find to it. I mean, the main difference is the the fact that this is actually made up of metal, and that still feels really quite good. But so the Chromebook, actual... do you mean? No, no, the the Mac. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Pro, yeah. Uh, so the the feel of it, the feel of them is second to none, definitely. The industrial yeah. design, the unibody aluminium, yeah, it's just phenomenal, phenomenally good. This is stuff that's inside. So you're you're paying this massive premium. Mm. Like the equivalent equivalent spec hardware is what. Is it is it even like three hundred quid now to get the same spec as in a MacBook Pro? So you got to think that that Raspberry Pi, Dave. Um, mm. I think that's about thirty dollars, and they've got this module. Oh, there's a Pi Zero as well, isn't there? Which is five dollars. Yeah. And you know, there isn't such a huge difference, frankly, between say a MacBook Pro and a Raspberry Pi. You know, there I, there is a difference, but we're going to get not like so a, much hate mail. Here we are. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, when you think about it, it's like maybe, are you going to say 10 years difference in computing power, maybe? And yet the price difference is, you know, it's a thousand percent. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. So at the moment, you're you're buying. Yeah, if you if you pay for a Mercedes, you expect it to be luxurious and performant. You mm. don't just ex- expect it to be a comfortable tractor. Exactly that. Um, so so I I think part of the problem is that Apple are uh, at the mercy of hardware providers on the on the MacBook side of things. If you look at iOS, if you look at yeah iOS, so iPad and the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more vertically integrated. They make their own chips. So they license ARM and um, partner with PowerVR, I think, but basically PowerVR has a department dedicated to writing, creating the chips for the iOS devices, as far as I know. And um, that means that they have their hardware revision. They've got control over this. Yeah, exactly. they, can, they can choose, they can schedule things as it suits them, you know, rather than be at the mercy of a company like Intel. Yeah. Exactly, exactly that, or NVIDIA, or whoever else. So Apple need a performant GPU that fits in a certain power and heat envelope, and it probably doesn't mm. exist. Oh, and it needs to be that thin as well. That thin being, mm. what, 10 mil? <laughs> and I, sure. I don't think that piece of hardware exists, so I just don't think they can... They could, I don't think they've been able to physically make the next MacBook yet. I mean, if you there's there's a page you can go to. I'll link in the show notes, and it tells you how how stale the current generation of hardware on all the Apple product offerings is. So basically, is the the answer answering the question: Should I buy one of these right now, or is it about to be superseded by the next model? And almost all of the product lines are: Don't buy it now; it's about to be superseded. Yeah. I mean, it still works, isn't it? That's the thing. I mean, uh, if you were, you know, s- taking your hand and putting it on the heart, you need this gear probably to do your job now. And so, you know, if you needed to uh, to get a new Mac because you didn't have one, you you would still you'd have to, to carry it. But if you, as we've got, you know, a load of Macs, um, you would be very tempted to hold on, wouldn't you, until until this next generation um, hardware comes out. And there's a big unknown, isn't there, as to, to when that will, will happen and what's it going to contain and is it going to be uh, any good? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the the previous upgrade, so I, I think I got mine two years ago and mm. the, yeah, the year after it came out, they upgraded it with the Force trackpad um, yeah. and, a, and a, di- a better graphics card. And I looked up the specs, like a benchmark of the, of the new graphics card and it's something like 5% better. Sure. So, in order to for me to justify the like grand and a half, two grand or whatever it is to actually upgrade my machine, it needs to be better than that. So, I'm not willing to pay that much just to get force touch on my trackpad and marginally better graphics performance. Um, and that's the thing, though. So, um, the Swift compiler, Apple's language that everyone is uh, being ushered towards writing all their applications in um, for the Apple platforms. Um, it's slow, really slow. So part of this is that it's a relatively new compiler. Part of it is it's, it does more, has a has more um, comprehensive type checking, should we say? So it verifies that your program is more right than a, than a C program or something of equivalent kind of a level of safety. So it's doing more. Um, but you get you get a project to a certain size with Swift, and you really are waiting quite a while for that to build. 
Um, and this is so that's that's the fastest MacBook Pro that Apple do. That's basically their beyond uh, beneath the Mac Pro, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Um, this is the fastest machine you can get that Apple do, and it's nowhere near fast enough to work at the level that we are accustomed to. Sure. So yeah, hankering for an upgrade. So yes. <laughs> so tell Maybe us. Maybe towards Christmas or something, you know. That would be well, so WWDC has just happened, which is Apple's annual developer conference. Um, quite often they announce new MacBook Pros there because these are the devices that the developers use, so it's it's relevant to that event. No announcement at all. No coming in September or anything like that. No, so no inclination. Um, they don't normally give you a kind of, okay, we're going to release MacBook Pros later in the year, not, not like when the iPhone is announced. Um, but to have gone this long without announcing a new one is unprecedented and, you know, really uh, maybe alarming. I don't know. Maybe it's because they're switching over to ARM-based MacBooks and they're going to be completely vertically integrated on their own um, computers as well as their mobile devices. We shall see. Yeah, I mean, because that, that would be destructive, wouldn't it, uh, in the PC area if they just release... Uh, uh, a laptop that didn't get particularly hot, maybe passively cooled, and just had, <laughs> say, a hundred ARM processors in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be phenomenal. It would be phenomenal. So I've got, I've got the the big iPad Pro, and that is a fast, fast machine, and it's doing complex things. Um, so recently, mm. someone cooked together um, a a .NET IDE for the iPad Pro. This is absolutely phenomenal. This app. Um, so it's got a compiler. It's got the Roslyn open source .NET compiler, C Sharp compiler. Yeah. And um, basically a fully fledged IDE that allows you to have the have interactive programming, um, compil incremental compilation, and, and essentially make apps through the Xamarin open source iOS to .NET, uh, to C Sharp bridge, glue code stuff. Um, and it's absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So the hardware is capable. The hardware is capable. Sure, sure. I think I read a research paper um, not too long ago with 100 cores running off. Um, it was one of those, is it a D battery, you know, square little things? Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. I think still sort of early stages, but the idea that you can actually uh, have a processor um, with that number of cores, I think it was targeted uh, closer to sort of machine learning, and I think that was where yeah. you've got you know a custom CPU that is very good at floating um, arithmetic, for instance, but yeah. um, not not necessarily uh, as accurate as a general purpose CPU. Yeah, I think, sure. Um, I think some of the modern um, dedicated hardware in, in graphics cards, uh, 8-bit, I think that you, you can go down that low when you're just talking about a waiting for a uh, neural network, a neuron, mm. or however you're modelling it. You know, mm. 256 unique values is enough. Yeah, I'm probably good enough for Bitcoin mining. And <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Ethereum. So, yeah, but my understanding is that they're waiting for... Um, or what people speculate is that they're waiting for the uh, the current generation Intel processors, should we say? I don't know. Was it 15, sorry, 14 nanometers? Is that what it is? Yeah, so is this, is this Skylake? 
It's got a, it's got some kind of code name. I don't know. I think the current ones are Sky Lake. Mm. Yeah. So Poly Lake. So, <laughs> God, <knows. laughs> God knows. So this is this is another thing, isn't it? Is that Intel announced that they are switching from a TikTok to a TikTok Talk, which means um, process revision and then micro code revision. Um, so they would improve their chips, then improve the code that runs on their chips, the hardware design, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So that meant a new a new generation of chip fabrication process every two years, and and then now basically they've missed it, and they they are saying uh, we're going to have to have two talk cycles, and that's going to be continuing indefinitely now. So it seems like they are really struggling getting the fabrication of these lower feature um, size designs to a, a level of yield that is profitable, sustainable. And that's really quite alarming because Intel has the most mm. advanced chip fabs in the world. Interesting. So um, so this Skylake processor was first launched in 2015, yeah. August, yeah, so about this time last year. Sure. Are those in Apple gear at the moment? That's a good question. I don't big... know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It could well um, be that's what we're waiting for. Yeah. But the problem is probably heat. We already know that they've got a load of problems with the MacBook Pros being thin, relatively yeah. thin. And if you put uh, an oven inside your MacBook Pro, it's going to get pretty hot. I mean, yeah, actually, right, we're only having a Skype call right now, Dave, and I'm having to hold this um, above my lap for risk of um, cooking my upper thigh. Um, <laughs> It's when you can, you know, smell the bacon cooking and everything. You think, yeah, definitely. Well, you, you do know that the the reason, part of the reason that the MacBooks are so thin is that the um, the case itself is the heatsink. The aluminium sure. is the heatsink. The, mm. the processor itself doesn't actually have the normal kind of thin arrangement. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of designed to get hot. <laughs> cool. So well, anyway, your so overall I think thoughts my, on the yeah on the Chromebook? Yeah, the the Chromebook is actually surprisingly good. I got um, a Toshiba uh, Chromebook for a family member uh, a couple of weeks ago, okay. and uh, I was surprised by that actually, um, like really pleasantly surprised. Uh, how shall we say? Uh, I just I just bought it. I charged it up, didn't ever turn it on, and then. Uh, just at the beach, uh, uh, I gave it to said person, and uh, and they were tethered to my uh, smartphone. They gave it a go, and their eyes almost popped out at how quick it was. Yeah, cool. um, you can you obviously just uh, open and close the lid, similar to uh, to a MacBook Pro, um, and dare I say, uh, opening uh, websites is is pretty much instant yeah. to the point that um, the person who was used to a Microsoft uh, uh, Windows 7 laptop. The speed uh, that the Chromebook was able to, to, to launch Windows and everything and get onto the web, um, they couldn't believe you know, that they'd been suffering for all those years with that, uh, that legacy machine. And I'm, I'm no doubt the Microsoft stuff has got much better, but I guess the point is, is that um, time is precious and clearly, you know, as you get older, you probably don't want to be wasting your time. 
Um, and so uh, having a device like a Chromebook, which allows you just to get working, you don't need to worry about any antivirus or any other elements to it because it's essentially signed software. Um, yeah, it allows you to get on with the job. And uh, and the hardware is, is is pretty good, you know. It's, it's, it's relatively cool. I've got this thing here that doesn't have... Uh, any fans that I can see whatsoever. I don't think the Toshiba one had either. Uh, this was um, £125, so I guess around $200. It's uh, it's touchscreen. Uh, the, the, I've, I've gone through all the different channels of the software, so you've got stable, beta, and, and a developer uh, channel. Um, I've given them all a go. Uh, obviously, stable is, uh, is actually pretty quick. Um, and so despite this being, I, I would guess it's like a 1.6 gigahertz processor with only two gigs of RAM, um, it's quite sufficient to have 20 tabs up uh, and working. Um, but I did notice that as you go to um, beta and, um, and developer, then it does um, slow down a little bit. The, uh, the Android support is only available in the dev channel at the moment. Okay. Um, and to say it's it's flaky, I think it'll work on, um, the, there's a flip, I think Asus flip, is it? Um, and uh, I've, I've seen videos on YouTube which you know, seem to show a few apps working. Um, so I just to clarify, store... this is running Android apps on the Chrome laptop? Yeah, yeah. so this yeah. looks like it's, um, we're, we're actually merging the two operating systems. That's how it feels like at the moment. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, well, they were originally two essentially competing products inside Google. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and possibly still the, you know, still the same. Sort of, I don't think they have given up on either. Android's got a great brand, uh, but I feel my gut tells me that Android is made with snake oil and uh, Chrome <laughs> was uh, built by um, people with sysadmin viewpoints that knew about security, knew about stability, um, and created a rock-solid foundation. Yeah? So yeah, sure. I trust Chrome OS so much more than Android. Yeah? And yeah. I, I, I don't want to go into all the sort of debates that have happened in the Android camp, but you've got uh, people like from Google uh, shouting at devs, uh, to use integers rather than enums, um, which is completely trivial, yeah? Um, but the point that, or the fact that we're having this conversation um, is because they throw these problems back at us, whereas I think um, on like the Chrome OS side, they're very much, uh, they're highly competent um, and they give people what they want and they take away as much as possible so that it, it works as quickly as possible, yeah? Um, yeah, and, sure. Uh, don't don't force you to do weird stuff to get around their uh, limitations or their yeah. design. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so maybe Chrome is going to merge into Android, and what what do you think? Oh yeah, it, it, I think they're going to keep the Android branding. Android's got a, a, you know, a pretty good brand. Uh, people, customers associate um, associate that with mobile phones. Yeah, and so. Um, to, to produce a different name would be cool. So, um, so we just dropped out there, guys, for for a moment, but um, 
we're, we're back here. But just to wrap up what we were saying is that um, uh, Android is great on, on mobile phones. We've got a new version coming out. It's in uh, beta at the, at the moment. Um, my interest levels, they've uh, have, have actually gone down, I guess, over the years. It's become less exciting, I guess, as a as offering system goes into its you know, later uh, versions because really, you know, it's largely been done. But anyway, we have got a new version of Android coming out. Um, and the, the fact that it's merged with or will be merging into um, into this, this Chrome OS means that you get the best of uh, both worlds. Interestingly, you would have noted that Microsoft have said that they're going to discontinue um, native versions of Skype. Did you see that? Or some, some native versions? I didn't see that, no. Interesting. So... I think that included Windows Phone, um, and and well, it included um, Linux and iOS. And I think what they're they're what they're going to try and do is make uh, a, a Skype uh, a web app. And so, unless you are a certain operating system, say like iOS or Android, where it is worth them still to go and provide that native. Um, that fully native experience they'll just say just use the web app and mm. uh, and that will reduce their costs interesting so much like Hangouts has, uh, has always been yeah exactly that and I think you know um, with that TypeScript that Microsoft have been sort of backing yeah um, and Google have also accepted with Angular um, the, the, the latest version of Angular um He's using TypeScript, which is uh, basically actually to have um, cool. That's good. all the type benefits, uh, but still running on top of uh, JavaScript. But timescales for that, Dave, uh, are next year for Material widgets to be working with that. Yeah, so they've got this Angular Material project. Yeah, that's working with Mater- uh, with Angular One at the moment. Um, but anyone that's wanting to make uh, a new app. Um, I think that they are the developers would encourage them to consider making it with um, with Angular two because it's it's quite a little bit it's, it's quite a bit different, um, but the technology just isn't there yet. We haven't got you know rock solid widgets that work on absolutely everything, and, and their quality levels are are pretty high. And I suspect that's because um, next year we will be wanting to have. Uh, a lot more web apps that work across every single device without writing as many native versions. I mean, it sounds quite exciting. Um, certainly, if um, running Android on things like these Chromebooks enables us to um, have all those benefits uh, merged in with a, uh, a web app, something like storage, if Spotify, for instance. Uh, They've got a web app at the moment. Yeah, I think it's using a little bit of Flash there. Okay. But anyway, yeah. but, but casting that aside, if they've got unlimited storage on the device and it's really slick and fast, then then why would you bother making um, native apps writing for every single platform? It's I mean it's, it's extremely expensive, really, isn't it? And Unity, yeah, as you know, they, 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 that they've got quite a compelling offering, haven't they? There, where you can write it once in Unity, and it will work on on all the different platforms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so I think this promise has been kind of touted around for a long time. That if you use JavaScript in a web view, you can 
write it once and everywhere will be great. That that hasn't lived up to the um, promises thus far. Um, but things like TypeScript coming along, more performant web views. I mean, it's it's all helping, and it's all kind of going towards that. Um, for a certain class of application, I think it's going to make a lot of sense for people to do it if you can get essentially a native feel. Um, I haven't seen one application made yet that does have a native feel. Uh, but that's not to say that it can't be done. And it would be people like Microsoft that have uh, that sort of agenda at the back of their mind because they, they're they pretty screwed, uh, I guess, on the consumer side. They've, they've got the enterprise side still fairly wrapped up, but, but enterprise people will pretty much accept anything um, and will mandate that their staff use these terrible apps, right? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, they're not even a player in the phone market anymore. Um mm. really. So yeah, it's uh, it, it will be interesting to see how Angular 2 material material Angular material and all that pans out because we we might see a essentially kind of a forking where you, if you have a, a relatively straightforward application and that's probably uh selling it short a bit. I mean, it, it's it's potentially up to the kind of level of complexity of a mapping application. You can imagine Google apps being an, an entirely JavaScript application in the future mm. if the level of quality is there. Um, so, yeah, who's to say? Who's to say what's going to happen or not? It's uh, It will be interesting to see how it pans out. Mm. I, was, I was just, um, because we have folk uh, demo some stuff, we had the the Microsoft camp come with a, a shed load of different uh, laptops. I think then we saw Samsungs, uh, Lenovo's, and a few other bits and pieces. Okay, um, maybe Panasonic as well. And they were they were showing uh, what Windows phones, um, but I don't know how they're marketing them really. But um, but the Windows they're certainly Windows mobile phones. And you can dock them, and it's your PC. So that they're saying that you write a Windows app, and it works on the phone, it works on your PC, um, and, you, and you're walking around with your PC uh, in your pocket. Uh, yeah, this to, is this universal Windows platform, isn't it? Yeah, where you have yeah. you have it scalable all the way up from a from a desktop all the way down to the mobile. Yeah. So the the promise is quite cool, and so similar things have been happening with Samsung devices, where you've got the the kind of device and desktop, laptop integration stuff that we t touched on briefly in a previous podcast. iOS has got similar where if you're browsing a web page on Safari, you get in range of your MacBook, it will pop up a little icon and you can carry on reading it. So it's kind of kind of going towards that in a, in a sort of, in a way where at the moment these features are kind of bolted on to our existing infrastructure, our existing patterns of usage. Sure, sure. So I think that's that's a very forward-thinking idea that they're trying to push there. Um, the I think the issue they have is that no one uses those phones. Very, very few people have Windows phones. Um, they they were doing better, what, a year, two years ago? So yeah. I saw a few designers where we were that had Windows phones. I, I don't, haven't seen any in a long time. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think, I think if you look at the, the market stats, I don't have them to hand, but I think it's not looking good. Sure, sure. So, um, 
Do you want to move on to to, to a VR sort of topic, Dave? Or? Uh, well, let's have a look. What have we got in our topic list? Uh, we so we're talking about mobile. We um, big UK company Arm mm. acquisition, Japanese Japanese technology company. What, are they called SoftBank? Is it Soft? Something? Yeah, yeah, SoftBank. So I don't. I hadn't really heard of them before this. Um, yeah. Um, I think they've they've been buying uh, a number of companies over the years, and they uh, they invest a lot uh, in them, and uh, hope to to make a significant profit from them. And so, uh, in the case of Arm, I believe that they they said that they will double the the UK workforce um, over the next five years, and uh, they are hoping to provide sufficient resource to almost guarantee that those Arm CPUs. Um, which ARM don't make, but obviously design, uh, will be running the Internet of Things. Um, yep. Which so this may is, or this may is not all be. your internet-connected devices in your home and in the office and in the roads and cars and streetlights and everywhere else that we could possibly think of putting sensors and um, internet-connected machines. So, yeah, so should we give just a, ve- a very kind of brief, high-level overview of what ARM are as a company? Because they're kind of unique, they're kind of strange. So ARM is a... Um, it was originally formed as a consortium. Um, it's, it's one of the kind of, to me, the one of the kind of shining jewels of technology companies in the UK. Um, so in the 80s, I believe it was, Acorn was a, a computer manufacturer, UK-based. Uh, we certainly mm-hmm. had a, a few of those in our classrooms growing up. Um, one of the first... The, um, uh, personal computers to do color graphics in schools you know they they kind of that was their main market i think and um so they uh essentially spun off a a hardware design division and partnered with apple and possibly someone else as well um apple were apple were in the market to have a mobile processor they were trying to make a device called the newton which is a um a handheld computing device that had handwriting recognition, so on and so on, like a Filofax but computer version. Um, I, I think this was when after Steve Jobs had left. Um, not entirely sure about that. So, but but clearly Apple have had this idea of a, of a handheld computer for a long time, and they needed some hardware to be able to kind of bring this idea to fruition. They didn't have the huge Scrooge McDuck vaults of cash that they do now. So they couldn't just build it all in house. We c- they couldn't like spend a couple of billion on a fabrication plant, buy the best hardware engineers in the world, and put them to work like they did for the iPhone. Mm. So they had to partner with Acorn and and this other company, a couple of other companies maybe, and they came up with this re- like reference design for the, uh, the what would become known as the ARM architecture, um, and this is a this is a uh, f- um, what should we say ubiquitous so pretty much every mobile computing device runs on arm and increasingly more larger devices as well so the ipad pro big massive 12 inch device that you can attach a keyboard to is an arm device i think probably some of the microsoft surfaces are arm i don't don't quote me on that though um we just kind of touched on the fact that macbook pros might go to arm because apple can control it so the the way that the way that this works as a business is that arm own the the design for for the chip and they license that to other companies that want to make arm chips 
so arm themselves don't make the chips they don't have a fabrication plant their product is the license to the arm design the, the technology uh, and apple purchase that add a bunch of their own customizations to it partner with power vr and that goes into the system on a chip that powers your iphone your ipad and whatever Similar with Samsung. And they've been quite shrewd, haven't they? Because I was going to say, Dave, that the nice thing about ARM with this is that they haven't been greedy or anything like that. They have um, been uh, very clear that they want to design chips and they will give uh, any company that wants to work with them the opportunity to create those chips uh, however they like, wherever they like, which means that um, there is... There has been to today little conflict, say, between um, Apple or Samsung and the CPU space. They're quite happy to go and uh, work the way that they have um, because ARM is independent of those companies. But can you imagine if Apple bought ARM or Samsung bought ARM, it's unlikely that um, that they would want to continue that relationship, yeah? So... So ARM being independent was a, was a great strength you know, to that entire ecosystem. Definitely, definitely. Um, so it, yeah, it, it provides a, um, how should we say? So the, the best possible work in hardware design can happen when you're in that position where you're not, you're not in a conflict of interest, you're not just kind of, kind of insulate yourself from the market is a very kind of, uh, Win, you know, it's win-win. It's win for everyone. Arm wins, Samsung wins, Apple wins. You don't have to worry about the nitty-gritty of these hardware details. We'll take care of them. Feel free to lay them out however you like on your board, on your chip, integrate them with whatever else you like. But fundamentally, this is going to be best, best-in-class technology. And, you know, this is, this is a company that's in Cambridge. They've got access to probably some of the, the biggest intellectual talent, certainly in computer science, in the entire country. Um, yeah it's just it's uh, so it's, it's when I first heard that they were being acquired I was like in initially very disappointed and, and slightly angry because mm. I, I don't necessarily think this is a good thing these kind of things don't generally work out well um, and then I read a bit more into it and they said they, the, the Japanese company SoftBank said that they are going to keep operations in the UK, keep the head office in Cambridge, double the head count. So they, they're making the right noises. It remains to be seen whether they're going to follow through on that because you know, that's clearly what they know people want to hear at this stage. I, do, I yeah, don't I was... think paying attention to a company's actions is more um, uh, instructive than paying attention to what they say. Sure, sure. I, I was just thinking that when that news was announced, uh, politicians in the UK were keen to to cite that as a, a demonstration of success. Um, but but I felt um, like a, a, a jewel within the UK had just been sold. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The the currency, golden goose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We um, our currency went down with uh, with this uh, Brexit ordeal, shall we say? Um, so we've got quite a lot of um, instability uh, over the next few years, it would appear. Well, it's, and, it's coincidental, isn't it? It makes UK companies cheap. Yeah. All right, so and yeah, you're essentially and, getting a 
discount even if you don't negotiate exactly exactly um so so they saw that as an opportunity and uh politicians thought you know excellent we can sell this to the public that this is a demonstration of success when really it isn't uh, to the point that the uh, the one of the founders of uh, of arm um, said that it was a sad day for technology for Britain. Yeah, yeah which to, I would definitely day, agree with. Um, you know, you pick up a phone and everything, it's highly likely to be uh, made in China because we just cannot compete um, in terms of like the workforce and, uh, and, and low-cost labour. Um, and also the, the Americans have got um, significant advantages in terms of uh, developing software. They've got... Um, a skilled workforce, uh, and they've got money and resource to go in there to follow through on those great projects. And for the for the UK, we're obviously a relatively small um, country. Uh, it was something that we could say is in absolutely every single device that um, people have wherever they are on the planet. Yeah, when they walk around in the middle of Africa, India, China, whatever. They have got something there with uh, British design. Um, and yeah, that definitely. Will it's, now it's be incredible. Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so. So think about when you buy a an Apple device, you get that. Um, some of them have it inscribed on them. The the wonderful um, designed by Apple in California, assembled in China. Um, and what it really should say third is with a brain from the UK, yeah. because that's what the hardware was. Um, the thing that the at the center of that. Doing everything sure. is from the is from the UK, from Cambridge, from you know a relatively small town. There's some very very smart dudes there. Um, yeah, it's a centre of excellence in the world. You know, uh, Cambridge is. I mean, it's, a, it's quite a large university. I think is around thirty thousand students at any given time, like, including ones remotely. But it's. Sure. Uh, I think it's quite a large university, and uh, probably two or three times the size of someone like say Oxford um, yeah definitely and but, for, for anyone listening who's not familiar with Cambridge it's you know it's the equivalent of the UK's Ivy League um, so Oxford Cambridge Imperial College London these are kind of top tier universities where there's a very stringent entrance requirement exam you have to you have to basically be borderline genius to get in there impeccable academic record and so on and so on so you know think of Harvard, Stanford, MIT those kind of places in the States um, don't even come close to, to Cambridge <laughs> so yeah so um, so uh, these are microchips Dave um, we, they're obviously used in things like these drones that are going around um, there's talk about smart cities um, a lot of the work that I'm working on at the moment is uh, all around uh, smart cities and that sure. is we're going to have autonomous vehicles, we're going to have things that are just done automatically for us, uh, like parking fees and all the rest of it. Um, all the wearables, you know, whether it be a wristband that you've got that's monitoring your heartbeat or um, your sugar levels or whatever it is. Mm. Uh, television, smartphones, smart cars, uh, arm is in there, yeah? And, and, and that's why um, SoftBank obviously thought that that was a, uh, a great opportunity um, to, to buy a company that, that is involved in that because so their press go, release specifically mentions that they see the future of computing as the Internet of Things. 
Mm. And that explains why you know, they're using it as a justification why they think this is a good deal. Because um, if you think about market penetration of mobile phones is still growing, not growing uh, as quickly as it was before. It was um, everywhere. You know, we've still, we've still got India and, and um, the African continent to really roll out smartphones in a ubiquitous fashion like they are in the in the Western world and the Far East and the Middle East and everywhere else. <laughs> so sure. it's it's not that they are, are getting on that bandwagon, so to speak. Um, you know, there's a question of economics in India and Africa, you know. How are you going to sell a phone to someone that costs more than they might make in a decade? So... Um, Unanswered questions in that in that regard mean is it is it even going to continue at the same kind of pace as we as we've currently seen in terms of market penetration of mobile of smartphones? Mm. Um, so, in order for this investment to pan out, the Internet of Things has to take off and has to be a big deal and has to use ARM. So, I certainly think that things like that will will be using ARM. Uh, I mean, what what are the alternatives? You could you could probably license some uh, you know an, a, an older chip from the 80s like a Motorola 6 series chip or something like that it's not going to be anywhere near as performant but if you're just doing something relatively simple like a pressure yes. sensor on the side of the road or something then you might be able to get away with something like that that might cost you you know a couple of pence or or whatever to license I, I really have no idea if that's an, an accurate figure or not but if you're doing anything so, that requires any processing like computer vision if you're recognizing number plates or anything like that you're probably going to need something more akin to what arm can deliver for you sure sure um i did see um i don't know how serious um, this is as a, as a competitor but but risk five risk v yeah yeah um so that that's like an uh, open source instruction set sure yeah um architecture and i think that was uh yeah university of uh, berkeley berkeley um, so, uh, I suppose if it does become a problem, if licensing did become a problem, then there could be a movement to uh, creating an open source um, chip. But ultimately, who's who's going to um, fund that uh, that sort of development to create things that uh, are as capable as ARM at the moment? I mean, why why would you do that if you can buy ARM processors relatively cheaply? I, I just yeah, don't exactly. really see what the incentive would be. Exactly. So, um, so this this kind of level of hardware design is not something you could do in your bedroom, I didn't think. This has taken mm. a large team a number of decades to get to the point where they're at now. And a large team of the, probably the most, um, the smartest people in the world working on this. It, yeah. You know, if you, if, you want, if you want to be a chip designer, where can you go? You can maybe go to Apple. They're kind of... I don't mean to sell Apple short at all. The the architecture is phenomenal. What they can do, uh, they're packaging stuff together from PowerVR and ARM though. So you could mm. go there. You could maybe work at Nvidia if you if you're into a graphics side of things. Uh, possibly Intel. And that leaves where else? ARM. Chinese Oops. Chinese companies that are making these uh, alternative CPUs. Did you read that about? No. Um, what's this? So you know the uh, I think China has got the number one supercomputer, isn't that so? Okay. It's it was a ridiculous number. I, I 
I'll check that whilst like we're vastly yeah. vastly larger than yeah. the second place yeah I, I would imagine like 10 times uh, larger than the next one um, but it was uh, I just remember reading the article um, about it saying that um, uh, the US DOD I think it was but etc etc and henchmen um, <laughs> denied selling that quantity of CPUs to China sure. because I think it's used for like um, uh, nuclear missile research and all this sort of stuff that's what the biggest uh, so, supercomputers normally are used for <laughs> so they went and built their own and uh, and you know if you can believe what the um, what the what the processor um, values are coming out then uh, then yeah it would be um, significantly more capable than uh, than many other um, like supercomputers in inverted commas but cluster computers I guess um, yeah. but I guess uh, there are you could equally argue that there are many aspects to a computer like that and that is uh, the tooling so if your tooling is really inefficient then it doesn't matter you're just wasting fossil fuel on all of that yeah um, and I was also thinking that the interconnect between those nodes if that is um, poor or using, you know just using off-the-shelf hardware then that's probably not going to have the edge over some sort of specialized infiniband style um, networking that some um, some other parts of the world may have um, yeah because you have to remember that when you, you I was just say Dave, when you're scaling some of these problems um, maybe it's different for things like uh, weather and nuclear research um, which is fine um, maybe you can divvy up the problem so you can run it just on more and more nodes uh, you could have it like a botnet almost couldn't you yeah. <laughs> in that sort of sense but um, but I think those problems don't tend to be the more interesting problems because um, the more interesting problems require those nodes to like almost like a map reduce yeah they work out something and they feed back which allows you to do a little bit of computational steering at the top um, but just continue your flow, yeah? Yeah. Um, otherwise, you just end up with this agent-based model with really slow things, and iteration is slow because it takes the network so long to communicate with one another. Yeah. Um, and some of these models, I've seen you know, graphs where um, the communication overhead is so great that the models don't scale past n number of nodes simply because they're spending all their time communicating rather than actually doing the, the job yeah yeah sure makes sense so yeah sure. so you you could go and work for a chinese company um so that's another option but the the so and there, there are probably some small uh chip makers that would be, you know we don't really know about because they're not mainstream um so basically, if you if you were really into processor design, you probably wanted to work for ARM, um, and it's probably still the case. You know, they're still going to be the market leader. Um, I just wonder how. I mean, Japanese businesses are very very different to businesses in the UK, and this is. I, I wonder how much this is going to affect the culture of the company. Are people going to leave? Because I imagine a certain amount of it was pride that that um, you know, motivated these guys. 
we're building something in this country with the shining light of technology in the UK and Mm. um, it's not necessarily the case anymore now under Japanese ownership I mean it could it could have been I mean the Japanese are are a great nation have done some phenomenal phenomenal things technology wise not to take anything away from them at all I just wonder if it will affect whether they'll have retention issues basically for it are people going to leave because it's no longer technically a British company who knows Mm, interesting I suppose uh, uh, another slight aspect to that is that uh, Japanese companies are probably uh, more longer term focused. You know, they. um, My understanding, you know, from from university and going through some of the the books, was that um, Western companies tend to be quite short sighted. So you're looking at three years, five years, ten years. And after that, you know, it's all basically fairy dust. Whereas well, the, next the next quarter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very true. Mm. Sale price next Whereas, quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and Japanese companies, uh, you know, it, it, it isn't apparently uncommon to have a company thinking ten years, twenty years, thirty years, and heading towards a hundred years, and you know what they want to do, whether or not that will ever be achievable. But the point was, is that it was about longer term sustainable growth rather than short term wins. Yeah, sure. And I guess a company like uh, Toyota springs to mind as a, a canonical Japanese example of that, where uh, essentially this is a company that invented the um, the process of process improvement. Yeah. So we're going to take a look at our manufacturing. How can we, how can we make it more efficient? We're going to take a, a look at our process in terms of how we hire people. How are we going to make that more efficient? And so on and so on. And iterating through, making their business more streamlined and efficient. That's not something you do to get a quick win next quarter. That's something that is ingrained in the company as we see ourselves on this trajectory of improvement forever. Sure. So that's uh, just-in-time management, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So it, so that's one of the aspects, definitely. Is the um, ju- the just-in-time production is taking the essentially the supermarket model and applying it to um, how you build cars. In that, you know, things products are on the shelf. We don't want to keep a huge inventory of stuff. As people buy it, we replenish it. Pretty much only keep as much as we need, right then and there. That's the ideal, anyway. So yeah, that's that's part of it. And, you know, that, which is a revolution in manufacturing when it was introduced, and now everyone tries to copy it. So this probably is quite a nice segue talking of car manufacturing mm-hmm. into a certain um, billionaire electric car company. Yeah, wow. <laughs> There's been quite a lot of uh, I say media around that recently, hasn't there? He's done an awful lot with his SpaceX uh, landings, uh, also uh, you know, landing bait. But back to the US, um, yeah. and also in the dark, uh, a little bit, bit, bit of negativity on some of his autonomous um, cars. You know, people are talking about, oh, there's been a crash and everything. Um, yeah, we don't even report the crashes in the UK uh, unless you know this, that there isn't anything happening in the news. Yeah, it's just so frequent um, uh, that. Yeah, what does it take for a car crash to be on the news? It's like a, a thirty car pile up on a motorway or something. Yeah, the last time I remember that. a car crash on the news. Not that yeah, I've yeah. watched the news since about 
So yeah, sure. well, so, that, so there have been two reported cases of Tesla cars crashing where uh, autopilot may or may not have been turned on. Uh, one of them, the guy died um, and it has come to light that autopilot was turned on. However, he was watching a film on an iPad or something and um, was clearly not uh, paying attention to the road. Um, the other case, the driver was not killed and they claimed that the autopilot feature was on and mm. uh, the jury's still out. I don't think I don't think we know whether for sure that is the case or not. And please correct me if you know. Any oh, I'm pretty sure Elon just tweeted and just said this is just complete bollocks. Right, and it was right, like right. quite um, quite refreshing to hear that from um, from someone like that because normally companies are very guarded. They won't yeah, say yeah, anything. Yeah, cagey. But, yeah, cagey. Yeah, exactly. where People could have been hurt. Yeah, which is great, and and I think that's one of the aspects of his character, Elon Musk, is that is incredibly refreshing. Is he speaks his mind? It's uh, yeah. it's really good, really great, and um, so yeah, you know, this is a guy that on the weekend learned how to uh, build a company that can land rockets after they've taken off. Uh, yeah. But bear in mind that the space shuttle was designed to do that, and it was essentially a I'm probably going to annoy people by saying this, but uh, like a three-decade failure. That's how I see the space shuttle. In that incredible, incredibly talented pe- engineers working on it, incredible achievement to get a reusable launch vehicle that was reusable. Um, however, far too costly, wasn't nearly reusable enough, had a schedule that was nowhere near met in reality. Um, I think they, they they wanted something like two flights a week or something like that when the original plans for the shuttle and what do we get one every six months or something like that because mm. they didn't realize that the turnaround time of the landing craft was going to be so huge and so expensive uh, rearranging these thermal tiles that rearranging them checking them and making sure they're okay on the bottom of the craft um, not to mention the fact that it you know did we I think was it two 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 vehicles were lost were lost with total loss of life uh, and so on and so on so um for SpaceX to have essentially achieved a reusable launch vehicle in the time that they've done it, um, independently of government, of government, I, they probably have had government funding. Obviously, they've you know got mm. some got some contracts in that regard now. Um, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal achievement, and it just goes to show the power of a vision of one individual. And people were wanting to back that vision as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Like he, he inspires people, definitely, uh, definitely, motivates definitely. people. That's um, what I mean. That's what I mean. Those people were there before, and it wasn't until Elon came to the uh, came to the forefront and the spotlight and said, "I'm building this. Who wants to come with me?" It rallies. Yeah. It rallies these people. It creates a you know a gravity. People can come. I go want to want to go and move to um, work at SpaceX, for example. Um, where there, there wasn't that before. I mean, you could go and work at NASA and probably maintain some COBOL code from the 60s or whatever, which would you know be great. Your grandparents would be very proud of you. Um, you would not be changing the world of spaceflight. Not like NASA yeah. was in their in their inception. Do you know, I think Elon, he, he uh, just just hearing the way he speaks and uh, his frankness, he just doesn't appreciate bullshit. That this is what it comes <laughs> down to. There's like um, with with these incidents. Like lawyers or anything like that. Really, he, he's probably his interest in lawyers is um, is thinner than the the hair on my head. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, and I, I like that, yeah, because if he if yeah, essentially 
he sees things in terms of value add. So, Definitely. I don't... Um, th- I, I, he doesn't have time for it. Bullshit to him yeah. is a waste of his time because it means that he's not building a rocket or he's not building an autonomous electric vehicle or um, a transport medium that means you can get from San Francisco to Los Angeles in an hour and a half or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he will... He will uh, he will put up with things uh, as much as he has to to, to move on. Is it, you know he, he's obviously got PayPal out there, and no doubt he had to go and sit down with a load of banks and all the rest of it and regulatory bodies to get that done. But he did it. He pushed through, and now he's moved on. Um, and I think I guess every single time he goes through this iteration, um, he becomes uh, uh, pushed further up the pyramid, and. Uh, and doesn't have to put up with so much bullshit. I've no doubt things have got. I'm not saying things are easier for him now, um, because no doubt they're, they're still pretty difficult. But the fact that people um, see him, he's uh, he's interviewed on things like TED Talks and all the rest of it. Um, people want to support him, yeah, and they will listen to him and they will respect his his opinion more than they did say ten years ago. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because he's not just the guy that helped build build paypal with peter theo now he's uh yeah he's known for the you know when i think of elon musk i think of electric cars and uh rockets yeah yeah and um you probably caught uh i say wind of uh his uh he he summarized his plans didn't he? he was talking about how um how he built an expensive car went and made a medium-sized car um and now he's trying to make a, a mass-produced car um, but he needed to go and get uh, sufficient funding to be able to, to make the next iteration of that product, yeah? Yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely. So um, up until now, Tesla has been a loss-making business. They they don't make profit on the cars that they sell, so the Model S and and, and so on. Um, those does not turn a profit for them. Um, also, they acquired SolarCity, the company that essentially will pay for you to have solar panels installed on your house and then um, pay you a license fee, essentially um, reducing the upfront cost of the solar to zero and then you, you making it back through actually having uh, a license fee. Uh, sorry, you pay them a license fee. Um, so this that's an infrastructure thing. So, so, so this is really interesting. Um, if we think about what Tesla is trying to achieve they're trying to achieve not an electric car, not a self-driving car, not solar power. They're trying to achieve an infrastructure that enables transportation. And the way that that is envisaged is through autonomous electric solar-powered vehicles. So the infrastructure is key. If you think about how transportation works people people think of cars and lorries and trains as transportation but that's only that's only one half of it the other half is the road or the track that that vehicle goes on if you don't have roads good luck getting into your car at the end of the day and going home unless you have a land rover a four by four because the infrastructure is what enables that to happen so um it's incredibly interesting to see these series of strategic moves that are happening that are kind of um, 
demonstrating that uh, that the the vision is much bigger than what we're seeing what we see is that car with no bodywork on it in the tesla showroom that's got a big battery and hardly hardly any engine it's just, just an electric motor in there um that's that's very visual and that's kind of at the at the forefront at the at the at the coalface as it were you know you that's what you where you interface with tesla is you sit in their car and drive it but it goes so much beyond that um it's an infrastructure play. Mm. So he came up with his his master plan, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's where he's taking us. So he he's doing this because he wants to change the world. Yeah, absolutely. Just, and one so. of the things that he mentions in in that plan is that the production system that they're using currently can be improved by uh, one or two orders of magnitude. I think he said a hundred times, is this so? Two, order, two, two orders of magnitude. So this is because, um, and I think BMW has done some interesting stuff with the uh, the i3 in this regard, in that the, the way that Tesla are making cars is the same way essentially that was invented when the production line was invented. So we're talking stamped sheet metal for bodywork, cast pieces of metal for the for the big parts and so on and so on and this is a uh you build a factory that's you know a mile a couple of miles long you put a car you, all the raw materials in the one end and out the other end comes a car each station does one particular part mostly autonomous done with robots and so on and so on um and that method of production does not result in a profitable car for tesla so what they need to do um, is build so 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 the the way that they have built their cars up to now is um, is small scale, so that they they haven't been able to take advantage of economies of scale. They haven't actually been able to build one of these massive um, production lines because it's it's not going to be in their interest to do so because the, you know this costs billions to produce one of these factories. Um, so for example, I know that, uh, who is it? One of the S SUV, um, manufacturers, uh, yeah. So BMW's SUV plant is in, um, is in North America somewhere. So literally every single X range BMW is built in the same plant in North America and then shipped all over the world because it's so expensive to build these, um, huge production facilities. So, um, Tesla's current um, offerings have been smaller scale, much more expensive to produce, and that's why they've had higher prices attached to them. Um, and they still lose money even at that. Um, so the when, when you think about infrastructure, that also kind of includes the manufacturing in infrastructure. And it seems that that is what they have been focusing on um, in more recent times. So, so they've built the biggest, uh, the biggest building on the planet, though. Yeah, now that that gigafactory. Yeah, right. So, so, so yeah, to achieve those economies of scale. Tell us more about the uh, gigafactory. I, I don't really know much about that. Yeah. So the the gigafactory was um, was uh, set up to go and uh, produce the batteries necessary for his um, for his Tesla cars. Yeah, and. Sure. Um, and I think he his focus um, with that is to uh, reduce cost 
but not reduced costs by just coming up with um, magic as such. Um, they, he wants sustainable um, 5%, 10% growth year on year in terms of um, of how much uh, a battery can uh, can produce. You know, a certain volume needs to produce a certain amount of electricity or, or power for these vehicles. And, uh, and so him having that production line um, enables him to reduce the cost as low as it can be um, because he's not driving all these parts around and worrying with suppliers that don't deliver on time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he's also pooling all of the experts um, working on that ba- battery technology essentially into one huge building. Yeah, I'm not saying they're all in that, that factory at all, but, um, but it's certainly going to be a centre of excellence for, for battery technology. Um, sure, yeah. And, and, and part of their offering is also a, a, essentially a battery bank in your home as well to store your uh, solar energy. I think it's called the power wall, isn't it? Um, mm. essentially a huge amount of batteries in your home so it, the, the battery manufacturing goes beyond the car and more into the power infrastructure side of things as well sure sure so I'm just, I'm just having a quick read on here so it's um, I, where is it I thought yeah Nevada I, I, I'm pretty sure I've uh, well, I've driven around that sort of area before there's a lot but, of sun there um, yeah yeah yeah, incredible. I think so. His rationale, what I'm saying, is that yes, yeah, to reduce the production cost. That's what he just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully reduce it by thirty percent. And by 2020, um, he reckons that um, it's going to be 35 gigawatts hours per year of cells, as well as 50 gigawatts a year of battery packs. So. Um, Amazing. Is it sufficient to to create half a million Tesla cars per year? So it's not going to stop there. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Um, this is not like an overnight technology switch. Yeah. I mean, the the number of vehicles out there, the number of homes, are you know so great that um, that this is not going to be a sudden switch. You know, even like the Internet of Things, Dave. You know. This is not a sudden switch. There is just so much infrastructure out there. It's going to take decades before this is propagated. Yeah, definitely. I was I was reading, um, I was listening to a, a a speaker talk about this this very thing, that um, this same pattern has been repeated many times in the past with technology. So if you think about the early days of computing, um, who do we think about? You think about IBM. So what problems were IBM solving in the you know in the fifties in the sixties? Well, they had to solve materials problems because we didn't actually know how to make memory or hard drives. They also, yeah, they had to create hard drives. So we initially went from um, uh, drum disc, drum based, (laughs) yeah, drums to tape to what what eventually became the Winchester disc, which was this spinning metal disc with a with a reed head. Um, And that, you know, stuck around until the last couple of years, basically. Um, the, The point is that IBM had to solve a huge amount of disparate problems in many uh, different and overlapping fields, all the way from material science to industrial design. You know, how are you, how are you going to get power to these things? How are you going to build a rack to contain this huge amount of equipment? How are you going to make memory? Oh, yeah, we're going to use 
magnetic cores to do that. Okay, right, great. How are we going to program these things? Oh, we're going to have to come up with an operating system and a language and, uh, yeah, a, a method of input. Oh, punch cards, yeah. So there's a huge amount of technological problems that need to be solved to push a technology that is in its infancy through to mass adoption. And that's what we're seeing with Tesla at the moment. So uh, you, you don't just need a battery and an electric motor to make an electric car with a few solar panels on the roof. You need everything to uh, to come together and be of a certain uh, standard, I guess you could say. So at the moment, batteries aren't good enough. At the moment, solar panels aren't good enough, aren't cheap enough. Uh, materials that we make cars with are too heavy, too expensive, uh, too costly too oh, i said that expensive too, so you know too slow to manufacture it's um and it's it's technology that we've been using for you know over 100 years we're still making engines out of uh, a, a solid block of metal combustion engines um we're still making uh bodywork out of stamped uh metal well, we don't need to it's just kind of that's the way it's always been done there's no there's no incentive in the marketplace for car manufacturers to do anything different than create a new bodywork style for next year's model because that's what they've done all the in all the preceding you know however many four decades previously and that's what we're going to do next year as well so it yeah, takes yeah. a disruptive company like tesla to come along and to basically say cobblers to all that we want to build an electric vehicle that your average person can afford and you know maybe it's going to be autonomous and actually it'll drive you to work and then it'll drive other people around all day and it won't cost you anything to own because it'll be a net um equilibrium in terms of economical value that your car can offer when you're not using it yeah yeah which is phenomenal it's a phenomenal vision to have so, so Dave, I, I, we're going to have to I think wrap this up very, yeah, very sure, shortly. Sure. But um, just moving this uh, this on slightly. So he's a inspirational figure. Um, he uh, has a say an engineering, but also a software background. He understands how we write software. Yeah. And um, and I find it sometimes a little bit challenging to uh, to be able to convey. Um, the the benefits of software uh, or anyone working in the software industry uh, they understand that like the replication costs are essentially zero yeah mm. um, yeah and uh, we are able to take the components made by every single person working in computing before us and build that little bit on top, yeah, yep. to the point where ultimately um, we don't need to necessarily do that much, yeah. You know, if you're a if you're a plumber, or if you're a fisherman, or a teacher, etc., etc., life it can be very difficult, yeah, because you cannot take um, the best teachers that we had of yesteryear and just tweak them ever so slightly. You can't do that, yeah, but we can with software. And um, and I was just thinking that with this whole Brexit, um, um, I say fiasco. Um, I mean, there, there will certainly be winners and losers, but um, personally, I I find it quite disturbing that 
people will outright reject um, leading experts, just uh, you know, quoting a, a couple of examples where uh, was it Gove that turned around and said, we've, we've had enough of listening to experts. Um, any, any society that uh, rejects education and rejects these new ideas essentially um, bec- um, falls behind, yeah? I, I would so, say descends back into the dark ages. <laughs> Um, and so I, I'm sure the UK um, will will certainly sort itself out in the, in the next few uh, few years. Um, but the, the Chinese, the Japanese, and the Americans will not just uh, sit by. Uh, and I think that those people, the people that work the hardest, will ultimately um, be able to work the least. Yeah because they're able to take this technology they designed. Uh, let's say, for instance, uh, bus drivers. We have been you know, providing bus drivers for, for a number of uh, decades now. Um, they have to get up in the morning. Um, they're at fault if there's an accident, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and what we're saying is that we can go and encapsulate all of that into a, some software, into a, some hardware. And those people can, frankly, get on with their lives and do something that they want to do um, that can indeed provide some value. Yeah? I mean, um, it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes because I think in our lifetime, Dave, we're going to um, meet some fascinating um, challenges. And that is, what do you do with all these people? You know, And ultimately, unless you can add some value um we don't really want you to do very much really because why are you doing it what like why would you go and dig a hole with a with a spade when you can get a jcb that'll just do it and if we've got autonomous jcbs you know what what are the people going to be doing and and ultimately what the people should be doing is um is probably uh, researching you know and it would only take uh one person to come up with some slight um, improvement to basically cover the value of their entire life. Yeah, I mean, what they can they can play tennis, go to the beach, do whatever they want because because that value has been um, has been captured and uh, and they have essentially become um, almost you know neutral. We're talking about carbon neutral, but you know people become sustainable. Yeah, what the, the, we've designed the machines that keep us to the standard that we want to live at yeah yeah it's, uh, a, it's we... a fascinating thing to think about um i'm not entirely sure whether the end game that people think that is relatively close is actually close um uh so if we think about in historically in the industrial revolution when machines were introduced technology was introduced that would take the process of um converting raw materials into cotton into into thread into wool mm. and then would weave it so we're talking like a, a loom you know some some kind of spinning weaving arrangement machine um mm-hmm. all of these technological advancements uh and we can we can talk about agriculture as well so you know everything from the plow to tractors or more industrial agri- agriculture have automated away people's existing jobs so um, I think the, the answer in terms of what these people are going to do is um, 
we're going to have to have an educational revolution to match this technological revolution because that's essentially uh, you know education as we have it today was created in a response to this happening you, you couldn't um go and work in the field from the age of 12 anymore or, or younger um because guess what we've got a machine that does that now um so you you are no longer needed you now need to go to school learn to read learn to write learn to be creative learn to do different things so you can contribute to to society on a higher level mm. and I, i'm fairly optimistic that we're going to go through a different a, a similar pattern here in that all the jobs that we think are essential for people to do now like the bus driver example are going to be automated away and that's actually going to be a great thing because that person that was going to be a bus driver perhaps now mm. is going to create the next great um vaccine. yeah <laughs> vaccines yeah exactly they'll be put to better use for humanity you know and, and until we've built a machine that can harness all the energy from the sun there's more value to be added in our solar system and then until we've moved to the, the next solar system over uh, you know, there's always more to do mm. i think people i think it comes from uh people not thinking like elon musk enough you know if, how, if at the moment we've got one elon musk what if there were a mm. hundred elon musks of all, all of a similar nature, you know, may, maybe the bus driver that drives your bus to work in the morning should really be out there making autonomous vehicles, <laughs> at the irony of that, he should be making autonomous rockets or a, a way to um, terraform mm. a planet so that it's livable. Who knows what they would be doing if they didn't have to do this kind of mind-numbing drudgery that is essentially um, replaceable by a machine or very nearly. So, so slightly on that, Dave, is that um, um, Canadian government, they had a uh, mincom, or I, I understand that certain provinces had the notion that um, that people um, received a certain uh, level of income. Yeah, sure, sure. Independently of whether they worked or not. Exactly, exactly. Um, and frankly, if we've got autonomous machines that can do that and produce, I don't know, your cereals for your breakfast and whatever you need for the rest of the day um you can survive off that and that gives you um all kinds of possibilities you know if, if people um are responsible then maybe we'll have the best musicians the most incredible uh, movies or anything like that because that's what people want to do uh, and likewise if people want to make rockets and, and things like that um it feels almost like um you know, the state uh, and companies to date have provided um, jobs uh, by telling you to do things in a certain way uh, and people react like um, you know, like workarounds, yeah? But maybe, as, you, as you're saying, um, as education um, as it increases throughout the population, you know, people become more autonomous. And I think you probably find that anyway right now that that many of the jobs that we do, we don't have someone uh, looking over our shoulder because, frankly, um, we're so niche in the areas that we're working on, you know, um, the people that know what we're doing might be on the other side of the planet. And so, you know, the manager is only um, observing, monitoring, you know. Um, so, so maybe that would, uh, more people would fall into that position and feel maybe more stable and comfortable than than how they feel now, which is where they feel possibly like um, like the world is uh, is turning against them. 
yeah, fear, definitely fear. If you're a bus driver right now, yeah, how, how much longer are you going to have a job? If you're just starting your career now, can you bank on that job being there in 20 years? I wouldn't yeah. like to take that bet. Yeah, that, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> so it comes down to an individual autonomy, doesn't it? How, mm. many, how many incredible stories haven't been written? How many amazing pieces of music haven't been composed because someone was doing a mundane task rather than focusing on what they could have been doing? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about. And dare I say, freedom of movement, Dave, uh, becomes more valuable. You know, as you go up that food chain, yeah. you uh, you value um, uh, experiencing different cultures, meeting different people, and any government or population that's trying to restrict its population to a certain area um, is surely be uh, you know creating quite a narrow-minded environment. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. We we may well look back on. Um, how much we travel now with the same kind of uh, horror that we look back on how people in the uh, in the Middle Ages travelled, where they'd, they'd possibly venture um, into the woods just outside of their local uh, settlement mm. uh, and no further ever. Um, and yeah, it's partly a transportation infrastructure thing, it's partly a, a cultural thing and you just ne- you didn't need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, yeah. very interesting to think about. Cool. Okay. So, Dave, it's uh, it's certainly late now, isn't it? So it we'll, is. we'll wrap this up. And uh, it's been great talking to you on all this, Dave. Yeah, and, likewise. And we'll try and do this again uh, soon. There's there's so many other things that um that we haven't talked about tonight, but uh, we'll try and catch them uh, catch up soon. Yeah, certainly. Great speaking to you, Ollie. Cheers, Dave. Okay.